Welcome back, listeners, to Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Season of the Witch, a Parcast Halloween storytelling special spanning four different shows. This week on Haunted Places, we travel to Old Salem Jail, built near the site where many accused witches were imprisoned. On Urban Legends, we discovered the curse of Giles Corey, said to have haunted sheriffs of the County of Essex ever since his grisly death. On Tales, we've got a chilling story of a cannibal witch from Algonquin folklore. And here, on Superstitions, we're telling an original four-part story about three young women who discovered witchcraft the hard way. So far, we've covered the origins of the witch's mark and said hello to a new familiar. But as we piece together the adornments that mark a witch, a mole and a small animal, we're missing something crucial to the archetype. A broomstick. We all know the image. A witch in her pointy hat, straddling a broomstick, flying off into the night by the light of the moon. It's an image made recognizable from kitschy Halloween decorations to movies such as The Wizard of Oz, Harry Potter, or the 90s Disney hit Hocus Pocus. But despite widespread popularity, the origins of this association are less well known. The first known image of witches on brooms comes from a 1451 edition of poetry by French poet Martin Lafranc. The manuscript is called Le Champion des Dames, meaning the Defender of Ladies. And while most of the poem is about virtuous women, the section the image is attached to turns to witchcraft. To the side of the poem are two small sketches, one of a woman on a long white stick, the other of a woman straddling a broom. From there, use of the image exploded. From 18th century painter Francisco Goya to modern-day clip art and movies, the image of a witch on a broomstick became a symbol of terror and entertainment. But why a broomstick? Some anthropologists suggest that the association comes from old pagan fertility rituals. During full moons, farmers performed elaborate dances, jumping around their crops while straddling poles. The poles were supposed to suggest the straightness of the crops, while the jumping signified the direction they should grow, up. A second, probably disconnected ritual is better known today. In Wales, traditional Roma besom weddings culminated with the newlywed couple jumping over a broomstick together to seal their vows. But there's another theory about why witches were associated with brooms. And it doesn't have to do with fertility. It has to do with recreational drugs. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, a young au pair flies high. Since arriving from Singapore in late September, Gia had spent nearly every hour of her day caring for Tracy's adopted eight-month-old, Luna. During the day, Tracy was at work at some finance company, and at night, 
She was almost always out, entertaining clients or getting a manicure for her annoyingly long nails. She refused to let Gia have guests over or leave with the baby. Plus, she had an absurd list of instructions. You'll find everything you need to know on this sheet. As you know, I like to keep Luna on a very tight schedule, Tracy said, wrapping a cashmere scarf around her neck. Naps in the crib only, not on the go. I know it's a tight window, but it's better for her sleep hygiene. I do not want to be woken up at night. So if you need groceries, food, anything, do not go out, get it delivered. And whatever you do, do not enter my bedroom, Tracy said before carting a sleek silver suitcase into the elevator. This weekend, Tracy was finally going out of town, which meant that, other than taking care of Luna, Gia could do pretty much anything, at least at home. She put Luna down into her bouncy seat, the contraption Tracy liked having her in because she read it staved off the crawling phase when babies took more work. Luna immediately fussed. Taka! I know, I don't like being cooped up in here either, she said. She developed a soft spot for baby Luna over the past months. She'd only done the job to get the visa. She hadn't thought she actually liked babies. But every time Luna cooed at her or stuck Gia's finger in her mouth, Gia found she was wrong. She really hated being stuck in the penthouse, but it could be worse. It was only Thursday. Tracy wouldn't be back until Monday, and the penthouse Gia now lived in was massive. It was this big, open floor plan with tall, modern windows and an extra-large kitchen. Her own room was bigger than her family's apartment back in Singapore, plus there was a fully stocked bar in the living area and surround sound speakers. Gia turned on some music and pulled out a vape pen. She rarely got to smoke, definitely not in the open. Tracy had a scary good sense of smell, so with her around, Gia had to sneak it out an open window in her room. Just as she took her first hit, Luna grunted with displeasure. Gia stared at her. This baby was a judgmental one. What? I can have a little fun. Luna cooed. Kuka. Gia smirked, amused. It's just a plant. Perfectly natural. Gia had an hour before she had to give Luna a bath and a bottle, so she smoked more out of her vape and made herself perfectly at home. She poured herself a fat glass of wine and helped herself to a plate of leftover truffle pasta. She didn't love the way Luna's eyes watched her, as if she were going to tattle on Gia to her mother, but she tried not to worry. Once Luna was down, Gia took a bottle of champagne and the baby monitor into the guest bathroom, filling a large marble tub for an evening bath. She flicked on her vape and poured the champagne into the tub, just for the bubbles. Being a rich person's housemaid wasn't too bad after all, she thought. Only a few minutes into her bath, the pen ran out. Gia held up the vape, squinted, and shook it. It still looked like it had some liquid left. At least, she thought. But it was kind of hard to tell. She tried it again. Nothing came out. Gia swore, then swished her hand around in the warm water. She glanced at the baby monitor. Luna was sound asleep, and likely would be for a while. The water felt nice, Gia thought, but someone's skin would feel nicer. As would more drugs. 
Despite not having gone out much, she did know one person in New York, an assistant to a gallerist that often brought her weed on his lunch break. Gia gave him a call, told him she was in her boss's bathtub and a little stoned. Fifteen minutes later, she was buzzing Trent up the elevator. He was just as attractive as Gia remembered and wore a yellow puffer jacket, skinny jeans and neon sneakers. Gia greeted him in a robe and took off his coat. A few hours later, they were laying on the living room couch, wrapped up in Tracy's collection of Hermes blankets. Trent was rubbing her thigh, telling her about how busy the gallery was. A big auction was coming up. Goya. There's like this one crazy hot piece called Witch's Flight, so the boss is going crazy with security, he said. He held up a picture on his phone. The painting had the dark coloring of something painted centuries ago. A circle of intertwined bodies, presumably the witches, were floating in the air, just above a man covering his head with a blanket. Trent swiped to the next piece, a print labeled Linda Maestra. It depicted two nude figures, an old crone and a younger woman, flying through the night sky on a broomstick while an owl soared above them. As she swiped through the pictures, Gia suddenly became aware that Trent was gently rubbing her thigh. If she were a little more high, she might have thought it was hot that Trent was stroking her leg and showing her art. But instead, she was growing anxious. The weed was starting to wear off. I'm about to have a rough come down. You bring me anything? She asked. Trent shook his head. Whole city's got a shortage. People call me every day, but I got nothing. Suddenly, his phone buzzed. He checked the screen, then rolled his eyes. The boss. As he took the call, Gia stroked his ankle. He had a tattoo of an eye she'd found so attractive when she first met him. Something about it was seductive, but she didn't know why. Have to go in. Something about a gap in security, he said. Gia sighed. <sighs> no sex, no drugs. What am I going to do? Trent buttoned up his shirt and said, If I were you, I'd search around this place. Rich people always have drugs. The penthouse was a bit of a mess. Pillows, glassware and clothes strewn everywhere. But Gia wasn't going to worry about it now. Cleaning could wait until right before her boss came home on Monday. Instead, she scoured the kitchen, opened media console drawers, pulled apart the powder in guest bedroom cabinets, looking for anything she could find in a discreet bag or container. But when she slammed the linen closet door out of frustration, Luna woke up and immediately started howling. Gia hoped she would just go back to sleep. It was nearly midnight, and Tracy hadn't left any instructions on what to do then. But when the crying continued, Gia figured she'd just pick Luna up out of the crib. Maybe she could help. Luna immediately calmed down and smiled a wide, toothless grin at Gia. Ah, she said, as if she was saying she knew what Gia was up to. Well, you're going to help me even if you don't like it. Gia carried Luna out of her room and into the hallway. There was a set of double doors just across from Luna's room, the one place Gia hadn't checked yet. Tracy's bedroom. Luna said, 
as if she were telling Gia not to enter. I know, I know, but I'm trapped in this apartment with you and desperate, Gia said, opening up the doors. Tracy's room was massive, with high ceilings and a tall canopy bed in the middle. Gia searched the nightstands and bathroom cabinets first. When she found nothing, she entered the closet. Most were shelves and drawers, shirts, underwear, sweaters. When she opened up a corner cabinet, she found a dresser with a jewelry tray on top and a glass jar filled with some sort of green liquid. Gia picked it up. Underneath was a small card with the letters CVN embossed in gold on the front. Gia flipped it over and read, Do not take orally. Dip a stick into the jar, then rub onto your lady bits for a soaring good time. Gia laughed. Trent was right. Not only did Tracy have drugs, this sounded far more wacky and fun than anything she'd ever tried. Taco, Luna said, as if warning her not to take it. Look, I'm not going to be judged by an eight-month-old. If your mom has it, I'm sure it's perfectly safe. Gia picked up the potion bottle and carted Luna into the living area. First, there was the matter of what to put it on. Gia's drug search had already unearthed a box of personal toys, but she wasn't about to touch any of them, which didn't leave her with a lot of options. Then she remembered the cleaning supply closet. There was a broom in there she used to clean the apartment that would work perfectly. Luna yawned, signaling she was close to falling asleep again. Gia guessed the drugs would take 30 minutes or so to kick in, so she could take it, put Luna back down in the crib, then have whatever soaring good time awaited her. Gia put Luna down in a bouncer, turned her to face away, then grabbed a broomstick from the closet. She opened the jar of green liquid. It smelled sweet and minty, so strong the herbs almost burned her nostrils. When she dipped the handle of the broomstick into the jar, the liquid soaked in. Here goes nothing, she said. She undressed at the bottom, then mounted the broomstick, rubbing it back and forth against herself. She felt a strange cooling sensation, almost like the whole room was turning to ice around her. She shivered, then compulsively started to giggle a little. Her whole body felt like a balloon being filled with helium, almost like she was floating. The giggle turned into a full-blown cackle. The high had come quickly. Bedtime call. Gia remembered Luna. Oh, crap. The room around her was starting to wobble. She had to get the baby back into her crib before she couldn't anymore. When Gia picked her up, Luna's eyes looked much bigger than before, almost cartoonish. Her facial expression was frustrated, almost like a fed-up adult's. I'm sorry, it wasn't supposed to kick in that quickly, Gia said. Luna crossed her arms and said, I told you so. Gia gasped, then laughed uncontrollably again. Luna's voice sounded like a grumpy old man's. She was definitely tripping. Are you going to put me to bed or what? Luna asked. Gia took a few breaths and tried to control her laughter, carrying Luna carefully into the nursery. 
the bedroom hallway seemed like it had been stretched and narrowed, as if the walls were pressing in on her. As she walked, Gia felt like she was floating through it, but not getting any closer to the end. She steadied herself against the wall for a moment and closed her eyes. When she opened them again, she had managed to stumble into the nursery. Well, this is just irresponsible, Luna said irritably. You're gonna be in a lot of trouble. Gia started cackling again in a way that she felt she had no control over. This is not real, she said over and over again. She put Luna down in the crib and tried to plop herself into the rocking chair, but she still felt like she was floating. Her breath became quick as she tried to control her laughter. The room was dark except for the small sliver of moonlight peeking in through the curtains. But suddenly, Gia saw the moon literally coming into the room, then splitting into multiple moons, replacing the bulbs of the chandelier. Whoa, she said, feeling like she was swaying so much she was almost nauseous. It was too much. She pulled out her phone and started to dial Trent. But as she did, she realized what she really needed to do was shut her eyes and sleep it off. Maybe a smaller dose at a later point. The room faded away around her, as if she were in that half space between sleeping and waking. She felt her body float above itself, then started to see a weird vortex of colors. Red, orange and yellow spun wildly around her. Then she was flying high over New York City. The building lights glowed brighter and brighter and brighter. Then suddenly, she plummeted into darkness. Trent's eye tattoo whizzed past her. The woman and demon from the Goya etching followed. She floated over the city again and her voice cackled loudly. The sound grew and grew, but her eyelids drooped into darkness. Then she felt the linen sheets of her bed on her skin. She tossed over. The cackling continued for a long while before eventually fading out. Gia rubbed her eyes and shivered. She was cold, colder than she wanted to be. Her vision was blurry, but she could tell she was in her own room. She noticed a strange mark on her leg, probably just one of those phantom sleeping bruises. The last thing she remembered was trying to put Luna down and then some gnarly dreams. Luna! She gasped, then grabbed the baby monitor and quickly turned it on. Thankfully, Luna was safely in the crib, still sleeping. Gia let out a sigh of relief, then adjusted her vision to the rest of the room. A window was open. Must have blown open in the middle of the night. She got up and shut it. The rest of the room looked normal, so she thought. Except the closet. It was cracked open, and there was a strange piece of wood sticking out. Gia opened the door wider. It was the print Trent had showed her on the phone, except it was massive. He'd said the artist's name was Goya. It depicted a creature and a witch on a broomstick. Coming up, Gia takes flight again. Hello, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast. 
Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices, others warn of impending doom, and then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies, we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organizations the world may or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand, how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial or collegiate kind attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows, others operate in plain sight, all are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Gia stared at her dresser in disbelief. Linda Maestra, the Goya etching Trent had described to her the night before, was in her room. Trent had said they were having security issues. Gia jumped. Her phone buzzed. She didn't even want to look at it. If it was the police, she was in deep trouble. But it was just her boss, Tracy. Gia answered, Good morning. On the other end, her boss talked quickly. I'm on my way home. Weekend was absolutely ruined by, well, nothing you need to know. I expect everything is clean and tidy and Luna will be well fed by the time I arrive. Gia froze. She thought she'd have all weekend to clean up. Tons of traffic near the building, but I should be there in two hours or so. Something about an art theft on the news. Gia glanced at the Goya. Okay, sounds great. Nothing to worry about here. See you soon, she said before hanging up. She looked to the print again, trying to piece together her night. She'd taken the potion, then gone to sleep, right? But then she thought of her dreams, flying over New York, Trent's tattoo, and the open window. Had she stolen it? She grabbed the print and threw it under the bed, then loudly swore. She was screwed. The living room and kitchen were a complete mess, and even Tracy's bedroom looked as if a tornado went through it. She woke Luna up first and gave her a bottle. Luna babbled in a baby way, not like she was talking again, thank goodness. At least that hadn't been real. And when Luna finished the bottle, Gia put her in a bouncer so she could clean. She would start with the dishware and glassware, she decided, which would be easy to throw in a dishwasher and run. But the first time she picked up a glass, it slipped out of her hand and shattered all over the floor. Luna giggled. She said. Yes, I know. I'm screwed. She grabbed the broom off the floor. The handle was still sticky with the potion. It was such a weird way to take drugs. Gia started sweeping, but as she did, a stack of plates flew out of the cabinet and came crashing down. What the... There was nothing that would have moved them. Gia looked at Luna. Luna raised her eyebrows, almost as if she was feigning innocence. It was cute. Gia tried to sweep the glass again, but this time, a flock of wine glasses practically jumped off a bar shelf. Oh my god, Gia said. 
She made a sweeping motion with the broom again, and an entire collection of mugs quadrupled in size, then exploded out of the shelves. Luna, what do I do? Luna only giggled. <laughs> she said, which Gia took to mean she just had to figure it out. Gia took a breath and thought for a long moment. She looked at the broom handle. Maybe she was still tripping. There was only one way to know for sure. She could call Trent. She dialed quickly. She was probably just imagining everything, but when Trent picked up the phone, he sounded harrowed. Gia? Gia? The whole thing was supposed to be a joke. You weren't supposed to actually take the print, and something totally weird happened last night, like you were literally flying. Are you there? You need to bring it back ASAP. There's only so long I can keep your name out of it. Gia hung up immediately. It was real. Whatever was in that potion was strong. She returned to the kitchen and decided to try something else. She got out a Swiffer and decided to clean the living room floors, which were sticky with spilled drinks and food from her late-night romp. But as soon as she began spraying cleaning liquid, a pipe under the bar sink burst. Water flooded the great room, filling it up so quickly she had to scoop up Luna and run out. She brought Luna into the nursery and shut the door, almost panicking. She put Luna on the floor. The baby immediately got on hands and knees, as if she were about to take off crawling. Gia kept an eye on her while glancing at her hands. She noticed they were faintly glowing, green, like the potion. She thought more about the Goya painting, about what Trent had said, that she'd been flying. She glanced at the broomstick. No way, she said, heart pounding. Am I a... At that moment, Luna let out a soft coo. To Gia, it sounded a lot like you're a witch. Something in Gia's palms tingled. It was almost like she was still high, except it was only in her hands. A strange, energetic sensation, like magnets. She picked Luna up and went back out towards the great room, sticking a hand out over the water. She made a scooping motion. She didn't know why she was doing it, but it felt right. Suddenly, she had a ball of water in her palm. Whoa, she said. She did it again. The ball of water grew slightly bigger and darker, and the flooding shrunk. Soon, the floor was dry. She had what looked like a storm cloud in her palm. So she threw it out the window and towards the sky outside. It began to drizzle. Luna, I think you were right, she said. Luna gave her the biggest smile. Gia ran back into the kitchen. She closed her eyes and imagined all of the broken dishes and glassware piecing back together again and floating into the cabinets. One by one, each pile of shards did. Then she imagined the same with the trash and sent it into the compactor. Even while holding Luna, she used her new powers to clean the stove, mop the floors, and even put the potion back in Tracy's room. She finished 
with five minutes to spare. The rain had stopped, so she opened the windows of the dining room and let the New York City noise in. Gia was holding Luna when Tracy walked in the door. She offered to hand the baby over, but Tracy just sighed. No, I'm way too exhausted for that. Traffic was a nightmare, police cars and block roads everywhere. Gia looked at Luna, but Luna didn't even seem to care. She was perfectly happy being in Gia's arms, not Tracy's. Tracy told Gia to make her a coffee and maybe an omelette while she showered, then walked down the hall towards her bedroom. Gia wanted to yell after that she wasn't Tracy's butler. She'd signed up to Nanny, not cater to her every need. But it didn't matter. Now that Gia was a witch, she'd find another way to get back at her. She had just started grinding coffee beans when she heard Tracy scream. What in the world is that? Gia freaked. She'd literally cleaned up everything, hadn't she? What now? Gia, come here right now, Tracy said. Gia walked down the hall carrying Luna. Tracy was in Gia's bedroom, pointing under the bed. A corner of the Goya was sticking out. Every cop in New York is looking for that print. Gia's hands grew hot with panic. Even if she fled right now, Tracy would certainly turn her in. Then she'd either be thrown in jail or worse, deported back to Singapore with its strict policies on drugs. She only had one choice. She turned to Luna and said, I don't think you should see this. Then put the baby down. A few minutes later, Tracy was duct taped to a dining chair. Gia had used her powers to fling Tracy's suitcase across the room, knocking her out just enough to restrain her. She hadn't wanted Luna to see, so she put her on a playmat behind the chair and gave her a bunch of toys to distract her. What are you doing to me? Tracy asked. Truthfully, Gia didn't know. I'm not going to hurt you, Gia said. Only tell you a little story. Tracy kicked against the chair trying to break free, but Gia's magic was too powerful. Once upon a time, a very wealthy woman adopted a baby for vanity's sake, then hired what she believed to be a poor, young girl to take care of her. But the woman was very evil and chained the girl and the baby to her home. The girl wasn't allowed to do anything for herself. And what's worse, the baby wasn't allowed to have fun and never even got to see her mom. Tracy spat at Gia. You're entirely exaggerating things. Gia could tell her anger was getting the best of her, but she didn't think it was a bad thing. So one day, the young girl decided to do something about it. She would free both herself and the baby. Tracy laughed. <laughs> and how are you going to pay for a child? Gia had to fight the urge to slap her. It takes more than money, she said. She glanced back at Luna's playmat, but Luna wasn't on it. Instead, Luna had somehow climbed onto the dining bench and was pulling at the edge of the window. The open one. Gia gasped, but just then, 
Tracy pushed Gia, sweeping her off her feet. Tracy had used her nails to scratch her way out of the duct tape. Gia stood up, trying to will Tracy back into her chair, but she was too distracted to concentrate. Luna was trying to crawl out the window. Luna, no! she yelled. Then, Luna fell. Gia pushed Tracy onto the floor and ran to the window. She had no other choice. She summoned her broomstick and jumped. Falling down the side of the Fifth Avenue building, Gia saw Luna just ten feet below. She jumped onto the broom and immediately pointed, willing it downward. The broomstick sped up faster and faster until finally she caught Luna and pulled her on. Gee, 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 Luna said, smiling in a way that made Gia realize Luna was saying her name. Gia pulled up on the front of the broomstick, barely missing the street below. There was a cluster of cop cars just outside her building, police running in. She knew she'd look guilty. Of stealing, of kidnapping, of everything. But Luna looked so, so happy. Only one choice now, Gia said. She directed the broomstick up to the sky and took off. Gia flew as high as she could, then flew out of the city, watching the land as it went from skyscrapers to suburbs. All the while, the sky darkened. By the time the sun set and a full moon rose, Gia was flying over small, spread-out towns. Luna began yawning. Gia had to get her to bed somewhere, so she picked a large, green field to touch down in. She landed more smoothly than she had expected, then unmounted the broomstick, holding Luna. She looked around. They were alone, thank goodness. Let's see if I can pitch us a tent, Gia said. But just as she started trying, she heard a woman's voice behind her. Welcome, Gia. Gia turned. A woman walked towards her. She was tall wearing a beautiful white kaftan and had long locks of silver hair. Do I know you? Gia asked. The woman smiled, then conjured up a card in midair. Gia gasped as it floated down into her palm. CVN was printed on the front, in the same font as the one from the potion. Not yet, the woman said, but I know you. My name is Marina. Before Gia could respond, she was blinded by a sudden burst of light from behind Marina and raised her broom arm to shield her eyes. As her vision adjusted to the sudden brightness, Gia's mouth fell open. She clutched Luna tighter to her chest. The field was no longer empty. It was filled with dozens of fancy-looking yurts, like ones from magazines advertising luxury yoga retreats. An especially large pavilion towered at the center. A sea of string lights hung above the encampment, glowing like stars. Marina smiled at Gia, ivory teeth and gold jewelry glinting beneath the lights. We've been waiting for you, she said. You're just in time. For nearly as long as we know, 
humans have consumed certain plants for reasons not just related to nutrition or food. Some might be medicinal, like the many plants used in Chinese or Ayurvedic medicine, but others have a more spiritual effect. When consumed in small doses, bitter plants and fungi like ergot, belladonna, and mandrake have a powerful hallucinogenic effect. Some make you feel as if you are flying. So many turned these plants into ointments, essentially the earliest form of potions. While this practice grew most widely in the Middle Ages, the earliest known references to a flying salve reportedly date back all the way to ancient Greece. Unfortunately, these plants came with some nasty side effects. When ingested orally, they came with nausea, vomiting, and some irritation of the skin. But according to the Atlantic, sometime before the 14th century, people, likely women, discovered a solution. Absorbing the compounds through the skin skipped all the unpleasantness. But in order to get the best high, it had to be absorbed through a specific place, either through the sweat glands of armpits or the mucous membranes of the vagina. The next step was to figure out how to disperse the potion. The thing readily at hand to most women? A broomstick. Women would make these potions, rub them onto a broomstick, then mount the broomstick in order to absorb the salve. Naturally, the Catholic Church did not like the image. Not only were women getting high, they were doing so in a way that was seen as scandalous or racy. So any woman that took part in this kind of ritual was likely to be deemed a witch. Over time, these compounds became known as witches' brews or flying ointments, and recipes can be found in texts spanning the next few centuries. Some recipes even include the fat of unbaptized infants as an ingredient, furthering speculation that witches were women who stole babies. In reality, these women were simply trying to have a good time. The broom was already a symbol for domesticity, but became a symbol for liberation. For many women who felt they had no other purpose besides the home, getting high off a broomstick dipped in potion was their only escape. So for some, being called a witch might have been worth it. Because to be a witch was to use a broomstick to fly. Fly far, far away, and possibly to the event of next week's episode. The Witch's Sabbath. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. Join us next Wednesday as we see what happens when Gia, Sadie, and Riley get together for a witch's night out. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the entire Season of the Witch special, with new episodes released every week this month. For more, follow Haunted Places and Tales on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain.
Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Erin Larson. This episode of Superstitions was written by Stacey Lee Nemec, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher and Greg Castro, and fact-checking by Anya Bailey. I'm Alastair Murden. You aren't supposed to know about them, unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's doomsday predictions, deadly greed or world domination, each week we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.